When are we gonna talk about us? When are we gonna come together and clean up what we like? Do you wanna talk about us? Hello, and welcome to the 26th episode of Let's Talk About It on WERU-FM. Survivors of domestic abuse, including me, Patricia McLean, standing proud and speaking loud. Because I was standing there, like, with this handprint still on my leg about half an hour later, a photo of it on my phone, and here's Oprah talking about DV with somebody on the television, and I'm sitting there checking every single box of the warning signs of abuse. But the bigger thing that I remember, which ultimately trumps anything in that whole situation was the sound of my daughter screaming, please don't hurt my mommy. I mean, she is 28 years old now and that sound is still in my head. My guests today are two survivors of domestic abuse who just had very triumphant school graduations. Denise is a 26-year-old Fulbright scholar from Mexico, not Mexico, Maine, who now has a master's degree in public policy from the Harvard Kennedy School. I met Denise in March when I was invited by her professor, Diane Rosenfeld, to talk to the Gender Studies Graduate Seminar at Harvard. Welcome, Denise. We dated in my hometown, which was Saltillo, Coahuila, and uh, which is in the north of Mexico. And we dated there in high school for like one year. And then I moved on to college. He moved on to college. And then throughout college, we moved to the same town and we continued dating there. When you met him, were you in a good place as far as emotionally? I wasn't in a good place. Um, but I think something important about this relationship is that I was very smart. He was very smart, mostly in high school. I think that a lot of people looked at the relationship as like, oh, that is such a good relationship. Like they are so they're going to have very smart kids. He was a good guy in comparison to the guys that my girl, my friends were dating, you know, like. Everyone was like, oh, he's such a good guy. He really loves you. A lot of women around me were like, oh, my God, you're so lucky to have mm. him. You're so that lucky. comes up. That comes up a lot. You're lucky to have him. So did, did you feel that you were lucky to find him? I think so. Yeah, I felt like I was lucky. Were you getting the same grades or was he getting better grades than you? Or how, how did that match up? I was getting very good grades and he was as smart as I was, I think. But he wasn't getting very good grades because he wasn't doing well in school. And throughout the story, this will repeat over and over again, where I'm very proud of my accomplishments and sharing them with him. And he's like, oh, yeah, you got better grades, but I am smarter or I learned more. He was always trying to make me feel less smart than him or less capable than him. What are some of the red flags looking back when you were were first together? There was a girl that he liked and he 
he really liked her and he really pursued her a long, long, long time. He would bake cakes for her and he would do all of these romantic things. That's what at the end I didn't like, that he kept pursuing me. Um, so that was one red flag. When we got together, it was like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. Like he's all over me. He was very affectionate. He was like, oh, I'm going to carry your backpack. I'm going to like, he would like just shower me with affection and love and, and everything. And was he also, when he met you, was he complimentary? Mm, sometimes he made me feel very loved. But also, and he would say like, oh, you're so pretty and whatever, and you're so sexy and all of those things. But as I said, like when it came to intellectual ability, which is something that I am very, very, it's a very big part of my identity and I'm very proud of it. Um, and it's something that is noticeable for everyone. Now I'm at Harvard, so it took me to uh, very far and it's an important piece of me. He was like, you're not as smart as me or you are not good with math or whatever. And then he would also make jokes about my physical abilities. I'm not very good at running. If I stumbled, he would be like, you're very awkward or you're very clumsy. And he was like, oh, that's so endearing. You're so clumsy, blah, blah, blah. In retrospect, I was like, hmm. He was characterizing you in a certain way, like building up these superficial things that you didn't care that much about yeah. and then tearing down the other things, but also tagging you as something you weren't like, okay, you're a clumsy person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then like one big red flag that I didn't see at the moment and where he exerted um, sexual violence against me at the very beginning and I haven't spoken about this with almost anyone we didn't have sex until very very late in the relationship and I was like I don't know if I was pressured I don't think I was but something that did happen during high school when we were not having sex um, was that once we were in a closed space an elevator or something like that and he was like oh, I want to show you something. And I was like, oh, okay, what is it? And he just opened his like pants and his underwear and he showed me his penis. I was like, what did you just do? And he was like, oh, I, was, I wanted to show you that I had a pimple, like look or something. And I started crying after that. I started like crying and I was like, what was that? What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? We had never seen each other naked or anything, but I was like, I was so like shocked by it. I had never seen a penis in my life before, like ever. So why would you do that? And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And we had a long discussion about it. And I think that should have been one of the first red flags. Also, there was like this time when he forced me to kiss him at the very beginning of the relationship. And I was like wearing high heels and we were on some stairs and I, 
my uncle was picking me up for school and he was already there and I was trying to run there, but I was in high heels and he was like, oh no, you're not leaving until you kiss me. You're not leaving until you kiss me. And I was like, oh, so frustrated, but also playful and whatever. And then you think, oh, like that's cute or that's romantic or whatever. This is playful. There were no bad intentions, but it's like, why doesn't a man just let you go? If you don't want to kiss him or why doesn't why doesn't he ask for consent? The first time that I had sex with him, it was completely okay. It was in my own terms and everything. Of that, I have no complaints. But that time, I remember that I don't know what happened um, or what he was trying to what he was trying to have me do or push me to do. But I remember that we had a very big discussion because when he was trying to get physical or when he was trying to move, I was just like, stop. You're making me feel like I felt when I was a child. I am just remembering that experience a lot. And then he was like, oh, my God. So do you think I'm like that person? Are you trying to say that I'm like that person? And do you think that he responded in the correct way? He didn't. I like that's not something to say when someone is telling you this is reminding me of my sexual abuse and for him to be like so you think I'm bad and like your abuser that's not no I'm sorry let's stop and the reason why I was triggered is because he was like pressuring me to doing something that I didn't want and not letting me like have control over my body and I remember that was that was the feeling that I experienced in sexual abuse like oh you are not you cannot decide for your own body or you don't have body autonomy, um, bodily autonomy. Um, and I was feeling the same way. And I was like that. So that is another thing that I clearly remember where I was like, but it's these little incidents between like all of these rose color things. So it's very difficult to say like, oh, this was a good period. And then this big thing happened, but I brushed it off because there was another very good period. There were all of these moments, little moments that in retrospect, I was like, okay, that was not good. And that was also not good. But And it's still a desirable relationship in the eyes of others. Even like my family, after we broke up, they were like, why are you not with him? He really loved you. I don't know. Yeah. It's so important to have our eyes wide open in the beginning, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but but it's hard because there are these little incidents, but then there's this all of these rose-colored actions. Someone in middle school said this to me the other day. I'd never heard this expression. She said, um, it's hard to see red flags when you're wearing rose-colored glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true. Um, I, and also no one really talked to me about this, you know, no one told me before how should it look, what would it look like, what should I look for, anything. Tell me about the relationship then, how it progressed. I would say that high school, even with this incident, I would call them the good times, Um, and then my first year of college, little things started to come up. He really didn't like my friends. He didn't really like almost anyone around me. He didn't make an effort 
And then I realized that he was not a very kind person. He was very kind to me and very loving to me. Uh, but he was not kind to anyone else. But also that made me feel even more special, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, he's so rude to everyone, but he's so nice to me. Oh, my God, this is so special. I'm so special. And what was his attitude about your friends in high school? He thought that my friends were dumb. You know, you're smart. I'm smart. But they're not like trying to create this special circle around us. And then in college, um, it was did it become even more pronounced that he didn't like your friends? Yeah, uh, I think I started to like grow um, professionally and learning new things. And then I was just immersed in college activities and I was into everything and I met friends and I made friends, but he was not fitting into that world. I started a bachelor's in arts in political science and he studied an engineering he would say oh you know like your career is not real it's less demanding than mine it's less than mine like people who don't do engineering they're not as smart you know like there was always this ranking of oh i'm smarter and this is like i'm better my Academic accomplishments are very important to me. So instead of not telling him, we would fight a lot about it. After that, I would say that the good times ended and it was all up and down and up and down and more downs than up. Actually, I think he broke up with me the first time. And I was like, okay, he broke up with me and I was sad about it. And then the next day he came back and he was like, oh, I want us to be back together. And I was like, well, you broke up with me. Why are you coming back and telling me that you want us to be together again? And out of pride, I was like, no, I don't want this. I was in a bad position um, emotionally. I think I was, I felt like I couldn't be without a man. I was very like empty and very sad. I think there was this cycle of when he was unavailable, since I was so used to him pursuing me, because he was always pursuing me, always, always, always going after me, after me, after me, after me. Um, when he decided that he was going to date someone, I would want him back. And, and that, that happens was to me too. I think there's something about a brain chemistry. Don't you think that could be like, there's something about when he's pursuing you about that intensity and then you need it after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Because I went to a private school and he went to a public school, there was this class divide also. And he would try to make me feel bad about it. Oh, my God, you have changed and you, you are so different. And I was like, my world is just opening up. I'm learning so much. I'm enjoying this. And he would just, he would not appreciate it or match. I think he preferred it when we were both in high school and we were in the same world or something. I don't remember at the time when I got into this college, but he was a little bit um, sour about it, to be honest. It was clear that I was on another path than him. I spent all of my day at school, literally all day because I was involved in so many things. I was studying, I was like making friends, I was um, in student activities. He would just go to school and then have free time. 
And I was like, no, I, I want to take advantage of this whole experience. So I don't have a lot of time for us. And then I broke up with him. Um, and then he kept pursuing me, pursuing me, pursuing me. But also since I didn't have anyone, I had friends, but like I didn't have really love or something um, in from my parents or something. I just wanted love I just wanted love I just wanted to be loved and to feel loved and I didn't realize that I was getting love from other sources I was getting a lot of attention a lot of messages a lot of like affirming words he texted me a lot and then he would be like oh my god you never answer blah 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 and like those yeah now that I think about it that is like a red flag or something I was clear that I didn't want to be back with him but I continued talking to him because I was like this is all the love that I know so I'm just gonna continue talking to him um but then he kept that I think that happened in March and then he kept pursuing me until like January of the next day of wow. the next year and there are all of these little things um I remember that in December um, my family doesn't celebrate New Year, New Year's Eve. And I was just home and he texted me and he was like, oh, I'm going to bring you some dinner for because you didn't get uh, New Year's Eve celebration. And I was and he was like, and I know that you don't want to talk to me or you don't want to be with me, but I'm just going to leave you the dinner or something. And then he walked from his house to my house and it was like 30 minutes or something or 40 minutes or one hour walk. It wasn't true that he was just going to leave it or drop it and leave. But um, there are these big romantic gestures that is like, that is so cute. Oh my God. But, uh, and I don't know, a part of me is like, maybe it's still attractive, but I still, I don't know how I feel about it on some a part of me is like, I think he was violating my boundaries of, oh, I don't want to be with you. But a part of me is like, this is so endearing. This is so cute. I don't know. Did you tell your friends what he had done? Yeah. And what was their reaction? That, oh my God, he's so cute. He really loves you. Oh my God. Even the friends who didn't like him, they were like, oh my God, that is so nice. Blah, blah, blah. When it was like, you're a mar martyr. Why would you walk 40 minutes? To That's ridiculous. Why would you do that to yourself? And so tell me what happened. So you, you said that you ended up getting back with him or what happened after that? So he was pursuing me all of those months, like a lot. He was like, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get you back. And it's funny because now that I think about it, the first girl that I told you about that he liked and he kept pursuing her. Now I'm seeing the connection of like, he's just a guy who doesn't take no for an answer. So he pursued me. And then in January, he was like, oh, I have something to tell you. I have a girlfriend. He was dating someone. That was when my world crashed. Was that the low point for you? Yeah, that was the lowest. Um, so then he told me that he had a girlfriend and I was just confused and like very 
yeah, confused and sad. And I remember that I asked him, do you think anyone will ever love me again? He just like brushed it off. <laughs> yes, of course. But I was so like, I had such low self-esteem and I was such in a bad position that I was like, wow, I think no one is ever going to love me again, which wasn't true. <laughs> I have been loved and, you know, whatever. But And I would like to go back to that, Denise, and be like, oh, silly Denise, you will be loved. And there are so much better things coming for you and happier things coming for you. And um, love is not only romantic. Love is like all types of love. So he told me that I that he had a girlfriend and I was like, okay, can I come to your house? I left at like 1 a.m. to go to his house and talk or whatever. But we talked and also we ended up having sex. And I was just trying for him to love me again. And he was like, Let, yeah, let's get back together or something. You must have been happy about that. Yeah, that's when the very, very high highs came and the very low lows came. Like that was a very, it was like, oh my God, wow, this is amazing. And the hormones you feel and the excitement you feel and the, oh my God, this is true love. This is everything. This is so amazing. That was very addictive. But then he like he had this girlfriend or the day the girl that he was talking to and then there was me and then the next day or he would be like okay no I think I have to stay with her I think I have to be with her that would bring me to a very low low during one of those days like that's when the worst happened because like he decided that he was gonna be with her and I just wanted to end my life. If he is not going to be with me, I want to die. You are listening to Let's Talk About It on WERU, Conversations with Survivors of Domestic Abuse. I am Patricia McLean, founder, president of Finding Our Voices. Back to my conversation with Denise, talking about a relationship that started when she was 16. My female friends saved my life. And I was just telling them like, oh, we're going to get back together. And they're like, oh, no, never mind. Oh, we're going to get back together. And then I was like, I don't want to tell them again that we're not going to get back together. That apparently like he decided that he wants to be with her. I just want to die. I would rather die. This is so embarrassing. This is, I'm so tired of this. And I had all of this like past trauma with my parents, with my sexual abuse, with everything that I was like, and I was, I think I had depression, but I wasn't diagnosed. So it was all of that, like behind that. I was like, yeah, like this is a bad moment. I don't want to face this. I just want to die. I just want to die. This is a mess. I just want to die. And it was so real. And I started to look for methods online. And I was just like, I just sent him a message to be like, okay, like, bye, like, whatever. I was just, and a little, when you are suicidal, because like, I have been in those situations um, several times, but when you're in that position, like, there's a little voice that is like, a very, very little voice that is like, no, like, keep fighting, like, 
no, tell someone, tell someone. And I texted my friends and I was just like, come to the apartment. I just, that's all I said, come to the apartment, please. And they came to me. We were 19 or 18 or at the time. And they had to deal with that situation. There, was, there were no adults around us. And then something horrible happened, which is that he came to my apartment and he came and he was angry and he was a jerk that day. I was suicidal and he was a jerk. He was like angry and annoyed and he was like rude to them. He was rude to me. He was like, but I was just so happy that he was there. It was all that I needed for him to be there. And the thing that my friends did was like, we, need, we think you need a therapist. And they looked for a therapist for me. Um, and I don't think that without a therapist, I like we were 19. There were just three girls at the age of 19 and they were just as lost as I was. And it was just like, what should we do? And like, I didn't tell anyone, like, I don't think we told anyone of what was happening. We didn't tell any grown up. So no one was like, oh, you are not going to see him again or, oh, you're not going to like leave the house or, oh, I'm going to take care of you or I'm going to supervise you. It was just like us living our lives as if we were grownups, but we weren't. We were back together for a few days. Um, I went to talk to the psychologist and she was like, and I told him, I was like, okay, we can go back together, but only if we both see a therapist. And he was like, okay, like he was annoyed, but he was like, okay. And then I think the therapist, she was just like trying to get me to a good place where I didn't want to die and where I wasn't so depressed and where I was not so dependent on him. Um, and the thing is, like, the next days, I think we dated for a couple of days and we would see each other, but I would hide it from my friends because I told them, like, oh, I think this is it. Like, I'm finally over it. But I had said that so many times by now that it was like, I remember one of my friends, she was like, yeah, you say that all the time. Like, is it going to really be over? And I don't blame her because I didn't know when it was going to be over. I was dating him and I wasn't telling them and they were annoyed at me, but I didn't expect like they did the best that they could. Yes. Like they sent me to a therapist. They accompanied me. Like, I don't think that teenagers have the emotional capacity to deal with these things on their own, you know? Yes. And, and then that's, on a separate issue but then there are all these shows like euphoria and all of these things where you see teenagers and they're like running their own lives as if they were like capable it's like no you're still growing up you need support from grown-ups you need someone to manage the situation it felt horrible to not tell them it felt so isolating it felt so bad i understood why like of course they were annoyed and of course they knew that like they were like Denise it's so clear for us that you deserve better it's like crystal clear for them but for you it isn't for you it's like this is the best that I can do <laughs> this horrible horrible relationship is the best that I can do that's another thing of these relationships that like 
you talk on Facebook and then you're like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going to block him on Facebook. But then you start texting and then you're like, I'm going to block him off text. Like you're trying, like a part of me was like, I'm going to block him. But then he would send me emails or then he would like, like you find all of these other ways to communicate. There's so many other ways to communicate with social media. That's the problem, isn't it? It's not just, um, I'm not going to take his calls or I'm not going to see yeah. him. There's all these other yeah. ways that they can come in. That's interesting. Yeah. So when, like, when I blocked him off, I think the first thing or something, it was like WhatsApp or something. And then it's like, okay, text messages. And then I blocked him off that Facebook. And then I blocked him off that emails like when we were talking through emails i was like this is the most ridiculous thing ever like for this to be your means of communication but when i blocked him off email that's when he showed up to my house when everything was exhausted was this um, valentine was this valentine's day or after? yeah okay valentine's day and um so you had broken up with him basically yeah 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 it was valentine's day and i was out with my friends and then like um we just went back home because i lived with one of my friends we lived together and we went back to the apartment and he was outside and it was just like such a bad moment like And then it was like, we were trying to get into the apartment and he was like, oh, I want to talk to you. And then my friends were like, she doesn't want to talk to you. And then he was like, oh, I want to talk to, like, it was a physical, like, she doesn't want to talk to you, whatever. And then we went into the apartment and we were doing homework. We had an assignment due. And then I think I unblocked him off my phone and he started like texting me and he was like, oh, I'm not leaving until you come out. I'm not leaving, blah, blah, blah. And apparently he had also been outside my house on Friday and I wasn't there. So he left like for uh, several hours. And then that day was a Sunday and he was like, oh, I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until you come out. And I was doing the assignment, I remember, and I was trying to keep normal with my friends, whatever, but the three of us knew like, oh, he's out there waiting for you. And um, finally I went out um, after I submitted my assignment. It was so bad. We went to a park and he was like, just please, I love you so much. Please come back to me. And he was like begging to me he got on his knees in the park he was like crying he was like please like it was like 2 a.m in the morning and I was like I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to um and like I just went back inside but it was such a bad moment and um I was like this is so exhausting and then think about all the all the time and energy it was taking with this relationship that was taking you away from your school yeah for me for my friends for him like everyone was just like in this drama that wasn't the last thing like the last last thing that happened i think the next weekend i told my family i was going to be with my friends and i told my friends i was going to be with my family but i went to him to his house and i was going to spend the whole weekend there at his house 
and then turns out that he was texting the other girl. I was just in bed and I was like crying and I, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was begging for him to stay with me or something. And that's the moment. That's the moment where I was like, I'm done. That was the moment when I was in that bed. I had lied to my friends. I had lied to my family. He was texting another girl in front of me. I was in a bed crying for him to be with me. I was like, I am done. I told him like, you know what? I'm leaving. Bye. And he was like, wait, blah, blah, blah. I was like, bye. That moment I was like, why am I in this bed crying for this guy who is texting another girl? I just lied to my family. I just lied to my friends. I'm hiding this relationship from my friends. This is also exhausting. I am never going to go back to this. And I didn't. And then I left for Canada um, for three months, which was very freeing because I needed that space and that time. I had already gone through a lot of things to get this um, summer uh, doing research in Canada. That's when I felt free and I felt like he cannot find me here. That was a very healing summer. I loved it. I felt so free and so happy. And I was like, okay, I guess that life can look like this. And but and then when I came back to Mexico, when I went back to my apartment at night, because I still lived in the same apartment, I was like, is he going to be outside? Is he going to be outside? Is he going to be outside? And I never told that to anyone. But every day I would wonder, is that nightmare going to start all over again? I saw him like one year after, one and a half year after, and while I was doing volunteering and he was with his girlfriend and they were volunteering too. He texted me or he emailed me or something and we talked and it was like, he was like, oh, like I broke up with her and they broke up that day. And I was like, why? That's weird. Like, this is so, and he was like, I will always be there for you. I will always be there for you. I will always love you. I will always. I was like, I didn't, at that time I was healthier and better. And I was like, I didn't ask for that. Why are you doing this? I'm never going to love you back in that way. I don't love you. I don't want you. I don't want this. That's when it finally ended. After that happened, I like tried to re do research into it. And I was like, why is this happening? Why was I so addicted? Why was I not making good decisions? Why is this happening to everyone? Um, um, but it's still hard to like identify myself as like, oh, I, I went through dating violence. I have read a lot about it, but there's still a part of you that is emotional and that it's like you can only um, process it through therapy and the right therapist. Because no matter how much you read about it and no matter how much you identify, there's a part of you that is like physical, I don't know, physical abuse. And then you're like, well, I was hit, but is it physical abuse? I don't know. I don't think so. Like you, you, like your brain does so many things to avoid identifying yourself as like manipulation. Well, I was kind of manipulated, but is it manipulation? I don't know. So it's like, it does all of this like gymnastics to avoid identifying as a victim. You know that we met at the research seminar of Professor, um, 
Professor Rosenfeld. And last year I wrote a paper about romantic love. Um, that was like my final product. And it was like how romantic love is a very big tool for patriarchy, you know, and all of this narrative of like, I don't know if you have heard that quote in the Bible. I don't know if you're religious or like love conquers it all. Love, love is forever. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is whatever. And a lot of people are like, oh my God, that is so true. That is so romantic. Love endures everything. Love, love is like this. And in that paper, I'm like, no, there's a line where like something becomes unhealthy and you cannot forgive it all and you cannot. It is not that. What is love to you? Love is respect. I think love is respect and constant respect, daily respect. Love is caring for another person, but yeah, love is caring for another person and respecting them and having like your own identity and growing together without merging into each other. Love is a very strong force, but I don't think love is the, like conquers it all. I think if there's violence, love cannot heal that. Love can, you cannot forgive violence. You cannot forgive and continue to love someone that hurts you or harms you, minimizing you or putting you down. That's why I have a problem with these quotes that, um, make it seem like if there is love or if you think there is love that will be enough or if it's the love of your life that is enough that relationship or that link will survive anything that happens and anything that happens you have to stay there that's not true that's destructive way of thinking for sure yeah but it's a message we get a lot isn't it yeah, and in that paper I was writing about all of these like princesses from Disney and all of these romantic comedies and all of this like you will never all of these messages that we get of you will never be like whole until you find love or your love. But like looking back, like I have such love for my friends, for my female friends especially like those two friends, they saved my life and they stood there with me while I was suicidal and they did the best that they could. And they found me a therapist and they were trying to fight for my life. And that's love. That was love right there. Not the other guy being a jerk and coming and doing whatever and being disrespectful. They helped me grow. They helped me like, becoming to the person that I am before and your friends I think that's something so important like my friendships are so valuable to me because it's like there that's love like that is also love and that can be like the purest way of love not these guys that will come and go and will hurt you and harm you and everything you know like in the end of the day when everything is over they're gonna stay there with you and even if like they run out of patience and they were like oh I'm not talking to you or whatever like I knew that like 
the next week they would still be there and they're like okay let's continue like i'm not gonna cut you off just because you decided to lie to us and go with this jerk who wasn't even nice or handsome or everything like i think that's love that's true love thank you denise and now let's catch up with leanne it wasn't long ago that leanne was living in a domestic violence safe house I first met Leanne when I photographed her for the Finding Our Voices launch exhibit in 2019, and she is one of 45 survivors on the Finding Our Voices posters and bookmarks. Welcome, Leanne. So when is graduation? This Friday. Oh my goodness, on Friday. Yay! How many years ago did you leave Augusta? I left in 2019 for law school. It seems like it didn't end, though. When you went to Texas, were you still being harassed by him? I have to pretty much every month. I have a court day. Some, sometimes I have to ask a professor for permission to leave the class. So I can't attend a meeting, you know, on the phone, on the hallway. Um, but then he insisted letting Stevie on the stand and let him choose again. So I strongly against it. Because all along, I always don't want Stevie to know about what's going on between us or let him in the awkward position to choose between parents. Yeah, but he your, your ex didn't care about that. He doesn't care about the mental He doesn't care about it. Yeah, so yeah. every time he, 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 he want to do it. So because, because of it, I said, I, I rather shield Stevie from this and prevent him going to court, then I'll let Stevie go to Maine. So since 2020, summer, Stevie's been up there and never visited here because his father won't let him vaccinated. You know that a lot of the court action was really just to harass you? Oh, yes, definitely. Because it even he's uh, for contempt of court, they have to have a clear convincing evidence that I was willfully contempting. And they know that is a very, very hard obstacle to overcome. And they have no evidence of me, you know, doing it in a, to spice him. And so, also cost you money. Oh, definitely. Definitely. When we were living together, that was his goal. When you leave, either kill you or, or do whatever I could to make you miserable. So that's why he's using this court to try to manipulate, contain, to harass. So at this point, I just said, I don't want Stevie to be a weaponized and stuck in between. So just have him as long as I know he's in safe. And I tell Stevie, Whenever you feel like you want to come live with me, something happened over there, just give me a call. I'll do whatever I can to bring you over here. How has that worked out? Do you think it was a good decision? For Steven's sake, I'll say yes. It's not easy for me to let him go, but for Stevie to not seeing parents continue to barrel, um, and because of him, and he f- always felt like it 
from the divorce and everything. It's his fault. And he's a teenager. He's very sensitive. So that's why we have to, I have to take him to counseling before because he feel guilty about it and he was blaming himself. So while this has been going on and you've been in law school, how has it been affecting your law school to have this in the background all the time with, with, the, with, <laughs> the, with the, the ex? Yeah, it made me more determined that I need to get this done and equip myself with enough knowledge and skill so that I feel determined that in order to change, not just our case, and other cases too, when I read that article the other day about the other people go through the same thing about this and courts are reluctant to make a decision, they definitely need a change in family court across the nation. So what's the change that you think needs to happen? Definitely need a more education and to lawyers and judges about domestic violence, the dynamic of it, and what's the effect on children and what is a wise way to make a decision when judge doesn't want to make a decision himself alone, he can make up a team. In Texas, we have a called a family coordinator and facilitators. So when there is a difficult situation regarding children, judge can appoint not just guardian and item, they can appoint a family coordinator and facilitator. He can appoint many people as a make of a team and let them do individually do the investigation or anything they could. And a domestic violence and a domestic violence expert on that team. Yes. So even mediator are, are too here. If you are doing the uh, fam regarding family, you have to go through the uh, domestic violence training, so that. A lot of the courts don't recommend mediation for the uh, with the domestic uh, violence situation, but Texas they train mediator to handle this effectively. Well, so, maybe I like to get on the ball with that because uh, we had a mediator who knew nothing about it, and my ex just wasted a whole day. Um, I knew that it wasn't going to be resolved, and he he snookered my, the mediator and. So that's something that that's great that they have that in Texas. They do have to have it. One or the other needs to happen. Either the mediator needs to be trained in DV or you do not have mediation with when there's domestic violence. Yes. So I took a train to already became, a, you know, trained in family court with the, uh, as a mediation and also family coordinator and facilitator. And through the training, I feel that Maine could definitely use something like this. Are you coming back to Maine to practice? I haven't decided yet. I feel like it, for personal reason, if I go back there, the harassment will be more persistent for him to easy, easy to reach out to me. For that reason, I don't want to. But then uh, when I look at main court, I talked to the, the attorney who represented us, the 
the contempt of court case, I said that because of main court lack of all this resource and training, I feel like it. I do need uh, some input to main court system. <laughs> In a way, you need what? In a way, I could help, uh, you know, Maine have a better system. Yeah, we can definitely help it. You, you, we need you. (laughs) Right now, I'm just trying to study hard, pass the bar, the score that high enough I can practice any any state. Leanne, tell me again how how this how you were inspired to become a lawyer from your own situation how were you let down by the legal system when you were going through domestic your domestic violence situation so there was a guardian item said our case is a hot potato she doesn't want to deal with it asking judge to deal with it she doesn't want to make a uh, recommendation or make a you know call and just Judge flat out said, even the mother, when I raised the issue of uh, domestic violence and asked court for, you know, you know, sole custody. And judge said, even the murderer as a parent has a right to see the child. And that just shocked me to the core. Oh, my goodness. At the time when I left, left him, you know. I have no place to go, so I I was staying at the Family Violence Project shelter. So I finally obtained a pro bono uh, lawyer. And when I talk about his situation, he just shut me down and said, don't even talk about it. Don't air the, your dirty laundry in the court or to him. Are you he doesn't kidding? Want to yes, that's why I just told him to you are not fit for my case. You need to go. Even though he said, don't (laughs) air your dirty laundry to the judge. Yes. Or to him. He doesn't want to hear about it. And he, and he was the one that was assigned to you. Yes. Pro bono. I tried to hire someone who had a reputation, but she had too much caseload. So she, they, they gave me her partner last time. And was your was your partner was that was that an effective lawyer for you? Uh, I'll say she could have done some more compared to the price that I was paying. But so how did you make get the money, Leanne? <laughs> I had to take the loan. <laughs> took loan for how much loans did you take out for lawyers? Uh, the tens of thousands of dollars that. A lot of money. That's horrible. You didn't even have a place to live and you had to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a lawyer. Yes. And Leanne, was the language uh, gap a difficulty for you too in the beginning? In the beginning, yes. It was hard because uh, never been to court itself, going into the court, just nerve wracked. And plus, you know, you don't understand what they're saying. And when he has a lawyer, I don't by myself. Of course, there's a big disadvantage. And later, I did obtain an interpreter for a little bit. But then a court says, my English is sufficient enough, don't need 
That's so, that's not right. So you you in the beginning <laughs> you had a paid interpreter from the court, but then they they ruled that you your English was good enough, and they were not going to provide that to you. Yeah, they said my another party's attorney insists that uh, I'm using it as a tactic. That's if you decide if you say that you need an interpreter, you should have an interpreter. That's true. You're the best judge of that. Yes. Especially when you don't have an attorney to assist you. And that's the only source that you can understand what they're talking about. But then uh, while you're talking in during the day-to-day -day English is a completely different than, you know, legal language. When you look back on it, like, what do you have to say about it? About where you where you came from and where you are now, you know, from the beginning when you when you left your marriage. Never thought about I'll, I'll become a lawyer. I always thought I'll be retired as a teacher because that's all I have been doing. But this. This whole thing just frustrates me to no end. And I feel like it. I'm not the only one in this turmoil. And in order to help myself and others in the same situation, I need to be in a, in a position to change. So that thing that I could do, it would be get the law degree and and then maybe later, hopefully, become either judge or legislator. Do you do you remember in your marriage feeling trapped and feeling like that you were not going to have a life and what your life what what it felt like your life was going to be? I felt like, especially at the end of it, especially when we live with his mother the last year. I feel like a prisoner. I feel like I'm the mate. I'm not the wife. I'm, I'm not the mother. I'm a free ba babysitter, housemate, and prisoner. I just, I know I... That's not the housewife I want to be. Never was. So I feel like it. I need to be freed. Just like the Megan's picture of a birdcage, bird flying up. I need to get out of there. And yes, multiple attempts finally. That when I counted, that was the seventh attempt. I finally able to leave, and I'm glad I left. If not, I know my dead body was will be buried in the backyard. Thank you, Leanne, and thank you for listening. If what Denise, Leanne, and I were talking about sounds familiar, if someone in your life is controlling you and making you miserable and afraid, say something. The 24-7 Domestic Violence Confidential Hotline 
run by the main coalition to end domestic violence is at 1-866-834-HELP and connect with our sisterhood of survivors that is Finding Our Voices, a grassroots nonprofit breaking the silence of domestic abuse all across Maine by visiting the website findingourvoices.net. You can connect with me directly, founder president of Finding Our Voices at hello at findingourvoices.net. And come to the Mid Coast in June to check out what young people think about love and not love in the Finding Our Voices K-12 art exhibit. Sculpture, painting, collage, and a comic strip are some of the kinds of art by boys and girls aged four to 18, expressing love and not love that is in the windows of 50 businesses in Thomaston, Rockland, Rockport, and Camden. Original art is in the Bagel Cafe in Camden and in the windows of the Farnsworth Art Museum. We'll be back next month, second Friday, 4 p.m. Until then, remember, love should feel good. It's been a long, long time. Speak my mind.